welcome to the Australian Hiker Podcast, Australia's longest-running hiking podcast downloaded over one million times worldwide and providing you with an Australian perspective on all things hiking. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage, coming to you from Ngunnawal and Ngambri country. In today's episode, episode 270, we catch up with Simon Morris, an Australian long-distance hiker who has completed the US Triple Crown, a goal that many long-distance hikers aspire to and one with an extra layer of complexity for international hikers. We hope you enjoy. Before we get into today's episode, if you'd like to help support Australian Hiker and this podcast, there are a couple of ways that you can help us out. Firstly, by subscribing on your podcast host of choice, so that each episode is available as soon as it's published, and if you have the opportunity, leave us a five-star review. Another way to support us is go to the Australian Hiker website at www.australianhiker.com.au and click on the supporters page and buy us a coffee. You can do a one-off donation or become a monthly supporter. All donations are greatly appreciated and help us to continue producing this podcast and blog. Now let's get on to today's episode. I first fell in love with long-distance hiking in about 2014, and surprisingly it had nothing to do with the movie Wild that was released in the same year. I'm a goal-oriented person, and the whole concept of hiking for multiple weeks or months was something that I could aspire to if I was allowed. The more that I looked into the concept of long-distance hiking, the more I liked the idea of doing one of the well-known Triple Crown trails, which includes the Appalachian Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Pacific Crest Trail. In this episode, we catch up with Simon Morris, find out a bit more about the trails that make up the Triple Crown and what's involved in going through and doing them. For me, this may be a goal that I never actually achieve, but certainly I hope to do at least one of these trails. And for those of you that may not know much about long distance hiking in the US, this will help give you an overview of some of the better known trails. All right, Simon, thank you for taking the time to chat with Australian Hiker on completing the US Triple Crown. Well, thank you for having me on today, Tim. It's, I'm looking forward to sharing uh, just sharing the fun and the, and the challenges that I faced uh, whilst I completed the Triple Crown. All right. Now, before we discuss your amazing achievement, please provide a, a brief introduction to yourself. So a bit of a, a general background and a bit of your hiking resume. Not a problem. Yes, I'm a I'm a 68 year old pom, uh, born and bred in the north of England. Um, passionate, passion has always been one of my is the hallmark of of my motivation. I was a rock climber uh, in my early years, and I used to take groups of people. I was part of a team. We took p- uh, groups of people out to uh, the Stubayer Alps in Austria and to the Dolomites rock climbing. Uh, whilst I was at uni I, in England, I flew across to New York and hitched from New York across to Yosemite in California and spent six weeks climbing there and managed to do the northwest face of Half Dome. And then when I ran out of money, I hitched back and uh, hitched back to New York, came home, moved to Australia in uh, the mid, sort of early 1980s and have hiked a lot of the uh, trails around um, Tasmania here, beautiful place to come trekking, which I'm sure most hikers know about. And with my good lady wife, we, st- we started lifting our vision to 
have a look around at other hikes. And we chose the Lycian Way in Turkey, which was a a 35-day, 500-kilometer hike on the southwest um, Teke Peninsula, which was absolutely stunning. Um, went to Mira Peak in the in Nepal in 2006. That was a 21-day peak, just to have a look at whether I would like doing the Himalayan trekking. And that was a 6,500-meter peak, which was fine. I enjoyed it, but it didn't really it didn't really sort of inspire me to do too much more there. And you know about the cannibal run we did in 2008. You had uh, Paul Lefevre on chatting with Paul. Yes, done a lot of trekking. Growing old disgracefully is how I like to call it. So, no, that's, that, that's a good a good attitude to have. I think there's uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think it's not just about being young as well. I think you know you, you tend to have the physical fitness when you're younger, but you tend to have the time and the in the experience as you get a bit older. So as long as you can keep on going physically, I think it's uh, it's good to see that yeah, you're doing some really amazing stuff. No, no, it's, it's good. For those people not familiar, what is the Triple Crown? The Triple Crown of thru-hiking is is basically awarded to a hiker who has completed the full length of three hikes. And these three hikes are the Pacific Crest Trail on the West Coast, which goes through California, Oregon, and Washington. And that you do it in the full full length. So that's usually it's about 4,270 odd kilometers. Then there is the Appalachian Trail on the East Coast, which starts in Georgia, just north of Atlanta uh, at Springer Mountain and goes up through Maine. It goes through about 14 different states. That's about 3,540 kilometers long. And then there's the Continental Divide. Continental Divide starts in New Mexico, goes through Colorado, Wyoming, and then uh, traces the border of Idaho and Montana, uh, following the Rocky Mountains, basically. And that's just short of 5,000 kilometers. So if you do all three, then you are entitled to call yourself a triple crowner of through hiking. And you're allowed to go to McDonald's and get one of their little paper crowns, silver crowns, put it on your head, sort of dance around for five and ten, five or ten minutes shouting, I'm a triple crowner, and then get on with life. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the emphasis here, it was, it's, not the, it's not the goal that was the important thing as symbolized by the silly little crown. It, it's the journey. You know, the the destination is the journey and the journey is the destination. It's that's that's the important thing, I think. Now, given the sheer size of these trails, and I think for a lot of people, um, many people would be familiar with the Pacific Crest Trail because of the movie Wild, the movie in the book Wild. A reasonable number of people would be familiar with the Appalachian Trail, depending on, on which part of the, the states you, you hail from. I know the pronunciation can be a bit different. Indeed. Uh, and, you know, from, from Walk in the Woods for that one. Yep. And then the Continental Divide Trail, which is probably the least known for most people. Now, yep. what, what inspired you to do three such very long trails? Was it a you did one walk and you were hooked or did you go into this thinking, I'm going to do all three of these? I've spent 30 years working in emergency. Uh, so I'm a nurse. I was the shift coordinator. So... I was the problem solver. Any problem, I had to deal with it. And as I've said, I was I was driven by passion, but I was feeling that I was losing my passion. 
I'd spent the last last five years doing permanent night shift and it was beginning to impact me. So I needed to have a life reboot. And I'd been into photography. My good lady, wife, Maggie, had uh, had got me the national parks of the USA. And she uh, there was 10 DVDs in it. But there was an extra DVD in that that, w- that was describing the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. And I have to say, the Pacific Crest Trail hooked me. But I didn't really want to do it on my own. So I was trying to inspire Magzo to come with me. And <laughs> I have kept a blog. I kept a daily blog on all three trails. And if you would permit me, I've just... I remember the exact moment that we committed to the uh, Pacific Crest Trail. And if I could, I'll just read this to you. Yep. It was 5 a.m. when I was awoken from sleep by an elbow to the ribs with those immortal words, I'm getting excited. I I slowly awoke with these endless pleasurable possibilities dancing before my mind. Magzo's elbow found its target once more. And I heard her say, I'm getting excited about doing the Pacific Crest Trail with you. Oh, yes. Yes, the very words I needed to hear. What followed was what every good English person does when they get slightly overexcited. We sat up in bed and had a strong cup of tea with honey. So that was the exact moment that we both of us committed to doing the Pacific Crest Trail. This was 2015. So that was the the time we committed. I needed to basically have a have a, a life reboot, and essentially, it became very evident in the planning that you were just going to throw yourself at the uh, the mercy of life. You know, you can do all the planning in the world, but as soon as you take your first kilometers, the first couple of kilometers, then you're basically at the mercy of life, and it's fabulous, fabulous. It's through hiking will wreck your life in the best possible way. So that was what inspired me to do it. Um, Magzo was coming with me. At that stage, was the thought that this is going to be it, we'll just do the one trail and that's it, or was it, had you oh, no. somewhere in the background? No, it was, I 100% said, if we start, I will do the three. That's, and, uh, Magzo, and Magzo said, yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> Patting me affectionately, <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> yes, I think I think if I if I ever do the triple crown, it, it, I, I, I might convince Jill to do it with me in sections. But there's no way she'd do all three and, and not the not the entire trail. So um, no, that, that, that's fine. But it's the, the major, and this is what a lot of folks do: is that they come in and do sections. I mean, Magzo did did the whole pc did all the pct uh you know up to well we did california and oregon and then she'd had enough and i'd put you know she'd pushed herself as far as she was capable and whilst it was disappointing to me that i, I wasn't able to finish it was she she'd done far more than i'd ever expected so you know the PCT was, yeah, I had to go back and finish that when I did the Appalachian Trail in 2019. But that's, we'll, we'll come to that. So, Just before we get onto the specific trails themselves, the US long distance community does a couple of things. It's a bit strange or a bit, a bit out there compared to the rest of the world. They use trail names and they also have 
their own language. So what are your trail names and how did you get them? It's true. You can hike with somebody for days, even weeks, and all you know about them is a trail name. And it's the great humbling thing. It doesn't matter who you are, what position you are, you hold in society, what your status is, what your financial is. You're known as a trail name and you become part of the hiking community. And that's the leveler. So it's, it's a fabulous leveler having a trail name. Magzo's trail name, she got this on the um, when we did the Lyceum Way. I would get up and I would say, um, you know, breakfast is ready, dear which is sort of gentle word speak for it's time to get up. But all I would get is the zipper of the tent would come out, uh, would open up and this hooked finger would come out ready to receive the cup of tea that had been made. <laughs> and then it would go back in and the zipper would get done up. And then uh, the porridge zipper would open, the flat ham would come out, the porridge would be put out and not a word would be spoken. So from this, my gorgeous wife was given the, the name Queenie. <laughs> and when we were doing the west coast uh it was a 25 26 day stretch up the west coast one of the girls uh magza um one uh, queenie had her birthday and one of the girls un unbeknown to us had brought along a pair of long white gloves and a tiara so that she could wear it as she hiked on her birthday up the west coast so this confirmed her name as queenie but then Later on, Magzo decided she was. She felt as though she'd outgrown Queenie. So, we were watching a film with David Attenborough about monarch butterflies, and of course, monarch is now the the Queenie has matured into monarch. So, Magzo gets the monarch. Uh, her, her trail name is monarch. Mine is is unfortunately wow. When we did the cannibal run, I decided I was going to film it. So. I would climb up all these um, rock faces and up all these escarpments and I would have a video camera and I'd video the other crew as they came up. And as they approached me, I would say, have you got any words of wisdom for the book of knowledge? And of course, they would be sweating and panting and most of their replies were totally unprintable. <laughs> But at the end, I had a, a four-hour video of the whole trail, and all you could hear was me going, have you got any words of wisdom with a book of knowledge? Have you got any words of wisdom with a book of knowledge? So the crew presented me with a plaque, words of wisdom. So <laughs> unfortunately, my name is Wow. And, you know, there's a little sting in that name. You know, it's a little reminder that, yes, yeah, stop whining on like a pom. You know, stop <laughs> whining. So that's how we got our trail names. Some of the kids change their names, you know, regularly. But I think once you've earned your name, you get, you stay with it, you know. So irrespective of, oh, I want to get rid of it or not, my name's Wow. You know, that's <laughs> it. Well, it's unique. I mean, I, I have heard, listening to a number of US-based podcasts, every so often you come across repeat trail names. Uh, yes. I, don't, I don't think I've ever heard WOW being used before, so I think you, you, you've, you've got that on your own, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, there's the, <laughs> uh, and it's interesting, uh, on, the, uh, on the CDT, we had a Snickers, uh, two people with the names, uh, trail name Snicker. One was going northbound, one was going southbound. And when they met, I was there when they met up and I thought they'd end up dueling with snicker bars. But in <laughs> fact, all they did was shake each other's hand, take a photo and carried on walking. 
<laughs> so apart from the trail names, there's also a unique language on the US long distance trail. So what are what are some of the key terms and terminology that you you come across that you may not hear on the Australian trails? Oh, you, there is a huge number. The to start with there's no way that you can carry the number of calories that you require in hiking. So you're always, you're, you're going to end up losing weight. I lost 20 kilos. I'm not a heavy, I'm not fat, but I lost 20 kilos. So you do not only lose fat, but your, your body starts burning, burning up muscle as well. So after about probably a thousand miles, you're going to end up with what's known as hiker hunger. And that is, you're you're always very hungry, uh, obviously. So, whenever you go into town, you just you don't. It's not a matter of eating; it's called calorie loading. So you're you're totally you're going to eat anything that moves. So the three the the four most uh, favorite letters of a through hiker's uh, vocabulary is A Y C E. If a place does A Y C E. It's going to be like a magnet. AYCE stands for all you can eat. There are <laughs> there are there are places that have, along the trail that offer these buffets, and it's a, and some of them are, are amazed by how much food you put away because you do get this because you're on trail all the time. It's known as a T Rex syndrome because you end up with huge thighs. You've got small little arms because they're not doing much. And you're vivaciously hungry. You're constantly looking from side to side for food. So it's called the T-Rex syndrome. <laughs> you just I, I must admit I haven't heard that one before, but that, that definitely makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's things like um, other things. A very, very important one is, I think the Australian hikers will know this one, is um, hike your own hike. Very, very important. Hiking your own hike. It's Don't get sucked in by... Other group, you know, if you're in a, if you're walking together with other people, and you're making too many compromises to your hiking style, uh, you know, just to keep up with the group. I mean, I don't have that problem, but you know, because I, I, I'm quite happy. I prefer to walk on my own. Other things are trail angels and trail magic. People will leave on trail. They'll know where the trail is, and they will leave. Um, Eskies and in the eskies there will be you know cold drinks, especially in the desert sections. There will be just even water bottles of um, you know five liter bottles of water because big water carries uh, in the in the desert are are crucial. You're literally drinking out at the worst water source, and this was uh, particularly in New Mexico on the um, on the CDT is you'll get these uh, cow ponds, uh, just a cow pond. The cows can walk in and they can defecate, urinate in the water, which is is what you have, which you do. But then that will be the only source of water for the day. So you have to have uh, filters, so soya squeezes. I also carried uh, a SteriPen, which not only knocks out bacteria, but viruses. So... You know, the water is literally muddy brown. And sometimes uh, the water tanks, the cattle tanks, they're muddy brown, but you've also got the green algae. So the joke is you can get water and your veggies at the same place as you're walking (laughs) through. 
and then there's strategies as well it, it, going into town town is 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 uh very important resupplying in town but the idea is that uh you you start strategizing that you don't in order to you know you do a 20 mile hike and then if you end up in town you go in and you pay for a motel you're not take, making the best use of that if you were to do a 20 miler and stop say 5 miles short of the town and then the next day you get up and you walk into town that 5 miles you book your motel then you've got the whole day to resupply do your laundry and eat and so it feels like you've had a day off when in fact you haven't but so that's called a nero a nero means that you're it's you, you've only walked 5 or 10 miles to town to resupply if you were to go in and book a hotel and do nothing the next day, that's called a zero. So, a number. So you can do zeros, you can do nero's, and you've got to really. This is the strategy that some people, especially if if they're on a tight budget, they need to uh, they need to take into consideration. There's cow, a lot of people do cowboy camping, which is just literally because the weather's usually so good. You just put your sleeping bag out. Um, you know, you don't bother putting a tent up. Uh, I used to walk, I walk with a, um, I've got, I've got a number of tents, but I walk with an, an MSR hubber. Um, a lot of the time I leave the outer skin off and just have the inner, inner setup so that you can sit there, look at the stars at night and appreciate it, but you're not going to get all the critters coming in, you know, the snakes and the scorpions and all of that. So, you know, you, you have that freedom there. You end up getting hiker legs, uh, so you, you, you know, it's known as trail legs, where you suddenly start feeling that, yes, you can start burning the miles. There are people who are, there are hikers who, if you look in their pupils, they're, they're actually, they don't have pupils. They just have speedometers, you know, because all they're doing is churning the miles. They want to do 30 miles a day, 30 miles a day, 30. And it's amazing the, the concentration that these guys have, and they just push themselves so much. There is also the ultralighters. Now, the ultralighter, this is a continual source of amazement to me. An ultralighter is somebody whose base weight, so that's just all their gear minus their food and minus their water. Their base weight is five, uh, four and a half kilos, under five kilos. So that's everything. Uh, they're usually stoveless. They don't usually carry a, a stove, so they do what they call cold soak. So they'll have a screw top container. In the morning, they'll put whatever food it is they are, they're going to have, add the water, and let it soak over their day's hiking. Then at night, they'll just eat it cold. These guys, are they cover big miles. Um, the trouble is that if they come across problems, they have – because they've shaved everything down, they have. There's no leeway. They've got no margin of error. So if things go wrong, they will start going wrong. Plenty of ultra hikers finish, and it's just you know it's great. But I'm afraid coming internationally, no, I, I can't. I can't afford to do that, and I wouldn't want to do that because I'm, I'm more interested in about the journey than the destination. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's you know it's it's you you need to carry the gear that you need, whatever that is. And, yep. if, you, and if you can get yep. away with carrying very little, that's good. If yep. if the conditions dictate that you need to have more, yep. you, that's what you need to carry. So yeah, that's um, right. I w yeah, I would agree. You've you've 
I've got what I need and I need what I've got yeah. is, is the principle here. Um, the other big thing is, is that uh, something that uh, I haven't, that I'm getting used to is um, trail runners. Everybody does the trail in trail runners because they're, a lot of the time you're, you're crossing rivers and you're crossing, you know, going through uh, wet areas. And so rather than have Gore-Tex boots, uh, especially in the desert sections as well as crossing water, uh, trail runners, things that will dry quickly. The boots, they're usually light. They don't offer that much support, but they're, they're very good. They're very good quick drying. And they do. They, they they actually on the on the last one I did the CDT. I started wearing them, and they did save they saved the hike for me because I was having major problems with my feet because the shoes just don't. Uh, the, the boots I was using before just did not work. They worked beautifully on the Appalachian Trail for me, but on the uh, Continental Divide Trail, they they my feet just ripped my feet to pieces. So I was I had to convert back to trail runners it's this it's one of these things that you you have to say is that a 50 50 to 60 percent of a through hike is a sort of an ongoing rolling problem solving exercise you know you you don't have the carpet pulled from under you 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 sort of learn to dance on a moving carpet and one of the things that uh you have to get used to is that gear will wear out and it's not a gear failure it's just you're putting it through, you know, extensive use. You know, you're going, you're putting it, uh, one through hike will put gear through, you know, five or six years, uh, you know, usual weekend wear type of thing. So this type of thing is, is, is what you've got to watch for as well. So, but anyway. I must admit, I um, the amount of walking I do, walking and hiking I do on a yearly basis, I normally go through uh, around about um, – uh, three to four pairs of uh, trail runners a year, uh, yeah, and, yeah, and as you yeah. say, it's not because they're, they're, there's anything wrong with them. It's just that I'm doing that much walking. They're, they've only yeah. got a limited life. You know, the, the, you would think that they would. Um, you know that you that people hone their gear down, hone it down, hone it down. I'm I'm not terribly interested in that. I want to be because of the diversity of terrains that you're going through. I want to be able to, exp- you know, use as many different things and say, yes, no, I've tried that. It didn't work in this environment, but it worked in this one. For example, on the last, on the CDT, because it was so isolated and you're so, you're reliant on your uh, phone and the phone apps, I carried a, a solar panel and which I can uh, continually charge my um, power pack with. And that worked up until about Yellowstone National Park. And then I, it stopped working. So I had to get rid of it. You know, I had to lose it and go in search of uh, another source of power. So it just always constantly ongoing. Okay. Now let's talk about the, the individual trails themselves. Yep. Now, the first trail you did was the Pacific Crest Trail, the PCT. Yep. What, yep. what was it about that trail that said, this is the one I want to do first? It was it basically the thing that it uh, – the, the hook for that was Magzo said she would do it with me. So that was the one that, um, and looking at the, um, looking at the DVD, the bonus DVD I got with the uh, national parks was, uh, it was open. It was, uh, you were going f- through deserts. You were going th- uh, uh, above 
the snow line and you're going through the Cascades into Washington. So it was my type of hiking. The Appalachian Trail was a green tunnel and it didn't attract me as much as that. So it was, this is what attracted me. And I think right from the very beginning, um, I remember we started uh, we started northbound, so you can go Nobo, which is northbound, or Sobo, which is southbound, or you can flip flop, which means you you start northbound, uh, and then for for whatever reason a blockage, uh, a trail closure, you can skip up to another section and, and hike south. So that's cl- classed as a flip flop. So yeah, on the first day we set off, there was we were walking along the trail. And we could see a group of people ahead. And it it turned out to be a group of prisoners. And the prisoners were raking the trail. (laughs) That's all they were doing. And so walking past these people, there was armed guards there holding 12-bore shotguns and all these prisoners. And as soon as they approached, you heard the shout go up, hikers hiking. And everybody had stopped, uh, stopped raking. We would pass and then they'd carry on raking. So unusual. We get to the first campsite, we're in bed, it was dark, and then there was this huge cacophony of noise, huge. And we didn't know what it was, because there was no lights, there was nothing. And it turned in the morning when we were chatting to fellow hikers, they told us that what it is, is because we were so close to the Mexican border, that what the border guards in their choppers do with their night vision goggles is they come in. They know where the campsites are for the people on the PCT. And what they do is they just suddenly drop in, make a huge amount of noise, and then watch. And they, they, their theory is that the, the people who, the illegal immigrants, will start running, whereas the, <laughs> the through hikers would just go, what the heck, and just turn <laughs> over and go back to sleep. So, so this, was, this was our introduction in, into uh, hiking the PCT, which was – which was quite amazing. Um, one of the downsides for me of the PCT was uh, we didn't finish. I mean, Monarch did as as best she, she did superbly well, stunning. But I always like to try and finish. That was a downside. Um, I do say the words were exchanged. But, uh, you know, looking back now, I take my hat off to uh, to Monarch for what she did. Stunning. Absolutely stunning. Yeah, I was going to say, most people most – people uh, are never going to do that length of hike in their life. I mean, you know, no, as no, many no. as many people that do the trails these days, it's still a, a very small number of people. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's the it's that you know you're literally hiking through the desert, and it, you're hiking through the desert for for you know weeks, and it's you know about it, you know, you know. And she did superbly well. All right. Um, the next, yeah. Sorry. The next. Oh, yeah. Go on. Yeah. No. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, the, ne- the next trail I did was the, was the Appalachian Trail. Um, that's uh, about a 3,540-kilometre one. Uh, as I've said, it goes from Georgia up to Maine. Um, it's known as the Green Tunnel. It was um, we set off at, uh, from Springer Mountain. And the, the one thing that I have, a, if you're going to hike somebody up to the top of a hill, you've got to give them a view. And I didn't realize that this was so important to me until I get there and I'm going, okay, I've struggled up here. I've got to the top and all I can see is trees. <laughs> you know, give me a view. Just give me a vista. You know, hike me up here and go, 
oh, look at that. Isn't that stunning? You know, no. So this is why it's called the Green Tunnel. It's the people's trail. Uh, at no time are you more than about 50 miles from uh, either a road or from civilization. It's the most established one. So you have trail angels who literally, they buy a house near the trail so they can provide services. Um, they allow people to stay in their house, you know, laundry. A, a through hike, all a through hiker wants is, is food. So food and resupply, laundry and a shower. And that's all you want. You know, it, these basic things that most of us do on a daily basis, these things become total luxury. To get into a shower after, a, you know, six or seven days of of sweating up and down is, ah, uh, it's fabulous, you know, and fresh clothes. It's an illusion, really, fresh clothes, because within half a day of setting out again, they're, they're all yeah, soaked yeah. through. Yeah, I, I, I found that on the Bibbleman track that was sort of, you know, get yeah. out there with laundry clothes and within within hours you you smell just as bad as when you came in. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's... But the, the thing about that was um, uh, I had the luck to be picked up by a, a non-profit organization who there was a guy who was 71 and he was it's, he they were promoting him as hiking with Mike. And Mike was going to try and do all three trails in one calendar year. So to become a triple clown, triple crowner in a calendar year, which is very hard. And it was painfully obvious that this guy wasn't going to make it so this non-profit group because they'd been they'd collected so much sponsorship they were looking for other people and i was what 67 at the time so they liked the idea of sponsoring me so all i had to do was to carry a, a garmin inreach and they would come and meet me at the trailhead and you know uh take me to resupply take me to the hotel. So they looked after me. And then, very kindly, they also pay, they paid for my flight from Maine back to L.A. and up to finish off the Washington section of the PCT. And they followed me there in a big motorhome. Um, so that was fabulous. Uh, so that was a very positive thing. That made my life quite easy. Um, a little... Uh, a for those who are in, interested, I used Oboe's boots. And if you are a through hiker in America, then if you buy a pair of Oboe's, then they will replace and you wear them out. They will replace them, for, uh, send you a replacement pair free of charge twice. Then on your, if you're going to require another set, a fourth set, then you have to buy those. So I don't know if they're still doing that, but they were able to, they sent me, they so basically they sponsor you on the trail as long as you use their boots. Um, a negative on the AT was I got shin splints, which uh, your leg swells up and you can't put any weight on your leg. So I had to have uh, three or four days off uh, just hobbling around, you know, hiker hobbling. It was, it was terrible, but that was fine. Got over that. Um and yes, they flew me up to the uh, Washington uh, section of the PCT. That took me 29 days, uh, 80, 800 kilometers up to the Canadian border. So that was that was great. Now, um, no, no, I was going to say, just while we're talking about the AT, I, yeah. know, I know you completed this walk about 35 days faster than the PCT. Yeah. What was what? 
would you attribute to that? Was it was it just that you were familiar with hiking in the US, or was it the trail, or you were just that much fitter? What 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 allowed you to to walk so fast on that trail? The uh, the different the, the thing was on the PCT. Um, the PCT is actually a longer trail. Uh, it's a longer trail than the AT. It's about seven five about 700 kilometers uh longer so the AT is shorter than the pct so obviously uh, the distance uh, covered uh, on the at is uh you know it's a shorter distance so uh, i would just say it was shorter um pct uh, and when i was when we were walking uh, when i was walking with magzo the miles weren't that important you know the fact that we got up at sunrise and, you know, went to bed just before dark. We weren't, I, I, don't, I don't remember recording the miles. I kept a blog, but I, I didn't record the miles. So the miles weren't important on the PCT. On the AT, I was having to keep to a plan uh, because I was, you know, I was telling people, oh, you know, come and pick me up at this point in three days' time. So there was more more of a push on the AT, but there was no push on the PCT. So um, I think the, the, I think the fast, the, the, a big day would have been about 40, 45 kilometers a day, but you, you get up, at, you get into this routine of um, get up at dawn and you just hike all day. You just hike all day. And I like to set up about an hour before sunset. So I'm not, yep, you yep. know, messing around in the dark, but it's just sometimes, you know, you had to set up with a head torch, but it was just more convenient. And, you know, there's hiker midnight for a through hiker. Midnight is uh, nine o'clock, you know, so nobody should be talking after. If you're in a campsite, everybody quietens down, you know, everybody wants to get as much sleep as they possibly can. So hiker midnight is about half eight, nine o'clock at night. So, you know. Now with the uh, with the AT, did you, um, you you headed north again for that one? Yes, I was I was no bow on that, so I started at um, just north of Atlanta in Georgia at Springer Mountain and headed north. It was the you could do south uh, Sobo, but um, the unlike with the PCT and the um, CDT, the weather windows there are quite narrow. On the AT, you can you can get away with uh, people walking up. Uh, you know, most uh, most uh, any time during the during the year. So there's less because it's it's um, classed as the Green Tunnel. It's not always, when you get into the you know uh, into Maine and New Hampshire there, then you are quite exposed in the whites and places like that. Um, you know, you are well above the tree line, but and Katahdin's well above the tree line as well, but it's um it's less affected by weather so with the the whole point with the cdt and the pct is that uh when you set off if you set off too early it won't be you know you'll get through the desert section because it's not too hot but it'll be um the snow won't have cleared from 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 the hill from the mountains so you'll you'll have a real problem getting through there if you leave it too late, yes, the snow will have cleared on the trail uh, in the mountains, but the desert will be really hot. So it's it's a matter of picking the window, especially the window on the PCT and the CDT. AT, not so much. 
So right. now, from the AT, you moved on to the CDT, and that was that was your last trail you completed, was it? This is yeah, this is the last trail. It's the and it's just to, um, it was I've just finished that last year. So and it's to give you to give you a little bit of an insight into um, the logistics required prior to setting out on trail. Um, so if you're going to go from from Australia across to America, first thing you're going to need to do is to get a, a B1, B2 American visa, which means for me, I had to fly to Melbourne to the American consulate and I had to fill out there's something like a 40, 45 page. You do it online, a 40, 45 page um, form. They ask you all sorts of questions about political allegiance and whether you have any, you know, extremist tendencies, etc. And that will give you the visa is usually for five years, and that will give you a six month, um, a six month uh, window to to be in America, 180 days, which is usually about enough to be able to complete most of your through hikes. Being at the time it was. The uh, one of the um, prerequisites to getting onto a flight to the US was you had to have a negative COVID test 24 hours before you flew. Yeah. So, of course, you put all this planning in place. So you have to live like a hermit uh, two weeks before to ensure that you're going to be when you get to Sydney Airport, you're going to be COVID negative, which was, uh, you know, essential. And then you also had from here, you had to then realize, well, what am I going to do? Well, I decided that I was going to have to fly into Tucson, Arizona, and I had to find on on the Internet, I had to find a hotel that would allow me to easy access to a phone, um, a phone service center where I could go in and, and get my phone because I'm there for six months. I, I got an AT&T phone sim card and paid for a, the, the AT&T service for six months um, I had to go and buy food and then parcel the food up and send that ahead to various uh, places remote places on the uh, in New Mexico that doesn't have that don't have shops but you have trail angels who are willing to hold food parcels for you so you have to buy the food and also go and find a FedEx or the post office to be able to package that out so you've got to label everything uh, correctly then you had to book off uh, the everybody ends up at lordsburg so you had to book a hotel there uh, you had to get a permit uh, the new mexico state permit you needed to get that um to apply online for that um then i got the bus from tucson to lordsburg and then from Lordsburg, the uh, continental, each of the trails have a, a committee that sort of looks after that particular trail. So the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, the CDTC, they run a shuttle because the beginning of the trail at Crazy Cook is in the middle of nowhere down a dirt track for a couple of hours. They run a shuttle. So you have to pay and book for your shuttle limited places. You get onto the shuttle, you finally arrive, but because you're walking through the desert, you have to check that the water caches have been um, filled up uh, because otherwise you, you wouldn't be able to do it. So 
all of this type of thing has got to go on. So you've had to put all of this in place before you even get on the plane, and the whole thing hangs on a, a COVID negative. And you're told, you know, in America, you've got the, everything you're going to need to see all these permits and everything. As soon as I got off the plane, nobody was the least bit interested. <laughs> no, nobody had the slightest interest in COVID. Uh, nobody checked any of my permits. Nobody, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, and on top of and on top of that, so on top of that, I flew in through San Francisco, and I was told I had to pick up my my bag. So I've, I've got plenty. I've got my bag full of all the gear I need. Pick up your bag, go through customs, and then. Go to your airline and fly to Tucson. So I get to the to, to the uh, carousel, luggage carousel. There's no bag. So I go to have a chat with the people and I say, "Look, uh, my bag. I've just flown in from Australia. My bag's not there. Uh, what shall I do?" And they said, "Nothing to do with us, sir. You have to talk to the people at your destination, which was Tucson." So I had a three-hour wait. And a couple of hour flight to Tucson, and in the interim, I'm going. Where's my gear? You know, I can't, I can't, I can't start my trail without my gear, and nobody, nobody's talking to me. So, I get to Tucson, I go to the airline, uh, the aircraft, uh, the airline office, and just as I walk in, my bag arrives, and I'm going. Where the heck did that come from? And <laughs> nobody, can, nobody can explain where it's come from, but you know. From landing in LA to getting to Tucson, I'm convinced all my gears. What am I going to do? Have I got to buy replacements? You know, and then of course uh, you've got to cover yourself for health insurance. Yeah. So there's travel and health insurance. You don't want to be. I took prophylactic antibiotics. Um, you know, I had them with me just so that in case I was going to get an infection on the AT, I took. Um, uh, antibiotics uh, had prophylactic antibiotics for Lyme's disease because there's a lot of ticks there. Uh, so all of these things, you know, it's a sort of multi-layered. There's a lot of it. It's great fun, but as soon as you get on trail, a couple of a couple of miles in, all of this just drops off. There's just you in the desert heading north. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing. I mean, you know, it's like anything that um, you know, if you do a, a hike in your home home state or hometown, you know, everything's really easy. But you know, and as soon yeah. as you, you travel interstate, it's a bit more complex. And then you yeah. travel overseas, and as you say, doing it uh, uh, post COVID pandemic uh, is all sorts of additional layering that you, you don't really think about. So uh, totally, it's, yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, I, I found that hard enough when you're travelling in interstate within Australia, having to manage the logistics, let alone doing it overseas. So, um. It's true. I mean, well, even on the CDT, I mean, I started northbound. Yep. Uh, so it took, as I say, CDT was just under 5,000 kilometres. took me 139 days. But um, we were heading north um, and – there's a, a particular remote area called the Gila River where you, you're basically following the river up to the, it, the, its source, which is called Snow Lake. I'd gone into Doc Campbell's to resupply. Uh, I'd resupplied for about five or six days, and I was heading up the Gila River. I was feeling pretty, pretty unwell. And 
obviously because we've had to go i mean i was triple i've been triple vaxxed for covid but i'd also got my a few rapid tests because being a healthcare worker you know i'm going well if you tell me i'm positive I, i'm not going to believe you until i do my own rats test i'm quite capable of doing my own rats so i'm i'm in the gila river uh, about three days two days in after resupply and i'm feeling not very well do a rats test on myself and i've got covid so i'm covid positive in the middle of the gila and there's nothing else i can do i could go back to doc campbell's where i got where i must have been exposed because that's the last time i contacted anybody when i picked up my resupply but i just had to keep going so all i had to do thankfully the gila is quite uh, it's quite flat but you're doing multiple river crossings you're, you're constant you're doing 50 it says that the, you, you do it a hundred times. I don't know, but you, you're crossing it a huge number of times. And so there's me going through the healer with COVID, carrying <laughs> carry my sack, thinking, I just hope I can survive. But I was doing uh, 20 miles a day, which was fine. I was just taking it relatively, but it got you very short. You, you were very short of breath. You got very dizzy. And the only way you could do was just to focus, at the, you know, in front of you and just keep going. The next thing we come across is that uh, the trail ahead of us, there's a, a, a town midway in New Mexico called Grants. And what the forestry had done is close from Grants uh, 400 kilometers up to the border with Colorado at Charma. So they closed 400 kilometers. So the decision had to be made. Um, if you skipped round, then you'd be heading into the mountains, but you'd be about three weeks ahead of time. The snowmelt, you would have been, you would have been working all day and just covering what ten miles. It would have taken you a long time. Yeah. I happened to meet a guy called uh, Anandi, who was a Scotsman who was living in Canada, and he just said, "Well." He said, we can skip the 400. And I said, well, I haven't come here to skip trail. I haven't come to, you know, dodge round thing. I said, yes, it, it is closed. I'm here. So technically you, you could get away with it, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't, I, I didn't want to skip it. So he just said, well, come and stay with me in Canada for a month and then we'll start southbound. We'll start from, um, you know, we'll start going south from Montana, which was fabulous, uh, uh, Chief Mountain. So great. So we flew from, we flew out of uh, Albuquerque down to Los Angeles, and then we went up to um, up to Canada. I stayed with him for for a for a month, and then we're supposed to come back through, start south through Glacier National Park. Glacier National Park is a is a stunning place. Um, and it was, I was really looking forward to it. But when we got there, what had happened is the, uh, the ranchers had put cattle in over winter into Glacier National Park, which they're legally able to do, but the cattle hadn't survived. So they'd obviously died. They'd been covered with snow. And as the snow was melting, the bears were coming in and eating the carcasses. So na the Glacial National Park was closed and it was uh, particularly disappointing to me because there is a place in glacier national park 
which is called the Triple Divide Pass. Now, Triple Divide Pass, it's it's a pass uh, that is a, there's a sort of it's like a it's like the Matterhorn. It looks like the Matterhorn, and it's the the rain that falls on the on the western side flows out to the Pacific. The the uh, water that the rain that falls on the eastern side flows out to the Atlantic, and the rain that falls on the northern side flows out into the Arctic. And of course, the mature me would love to sit there and just, oh yes, this is the this is the triple divide pass. It goes out to the three oceans. The immature me would want to pee in all three oceans at once. To be able to say that you've peed in three oceans simultaneously would achieve, uh, appeal to this childish the, the childish element within me. But that was never to happen. Then what else was the the actually now with the uh, with the Continental Divide Trail? One of the things that I understand is different with this trail than the other trails. Yep. The other trails there there is a essentially a dedicated footpath. There's an A to B, uh, ignoring any 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 closures. But I understand yep. with the Continental Divide Trail there are a bit of a choose your own adventure options. Totally, that there is. There are a number, normally with the Pacific Crest Trail and on the, um, on the AT, there is a dead, it's known on the trail up as the red line. You're following the red line. With the Pacific Crest uh, on the CDT, it is, there are so, so many alternates because of the, the diversity of the weather. It goes quite, uh, the high routes go quite high and they're very prone to bad weather. Um, snow. Uh, so what they do is they have a high a high route and a low route, and then you sometimes you can take a total bypass route. So there's all there are they are classed as the official alternates on the CDT, but it's it's the one that has huge number of alternates. So you you can literally pick your own trail, pick your own um, adventure. So yes, it's. It, it overall length of the CDT is, you know, just short of 5,000 kilometers, but you can shorten it by a thousand by, you know, mainly doing road walks uh, or two trail walking, you know, sort of tracks along, you know, through pastures and stuff like this. So, yes, it, there's a lot. So you can, there's plenty of options, but in the New Mexico section, there wasn't an option there. The red line is just the red line. You could do a road walk round, but it would have. I can remember it was. It was huge. It was a big road walk. So we didn't want to do that. So heading south, by we had to do a big walk, a uh, big road walk around Glacier National Park, which was disappointing. And then we just kept heading south, which was great through Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming had the Great Basin. That was another desert section. My brother from the UK came out and we met up in um, in Landers. So. I was able to, to, I haven't seen him for 20 odd years. So that was great to see. Because you're in bear country with the, with the bears, you've got to be, you don't eat and sleep in the same spot. So what you'd get used to doing is you'll walk, say, till five o'clock, then you'll stop and have your evening meal, and then you'll carry on walking for another hour or so. You'll set up camp and then a, a few hundred meters away from your tent, you will find a tree. So you were always carrying a length of rope and you would hang food up in the tree. So you do a, what they call a bear hang. And there's all, all different styles. There's the PCT style or, but I've 
on the AT, I stood there and watched at five o'clock in the morning, somebody who'd done a proper bear hang and everything. This bear came through and he, he twanged the wire. He twanged the uh, rope and couldn't get it. So all he did was bit the rope in two. The food dropped. He just ripped open the food bag and ate everything. So, you know, didn't bother taking the wrapping off the Snickers bar, I noticed. but <laughs> And you carry bear spray. Always handy. Uh, you always keep it very handy. And, you know, if there's bears around, all you do is shout. I was walking in Montana, just wandering along. And this black bear came out, just took, it was only about oh, 10 yards in front of me, uh, took one look at me, looked me up and down, and then just wandered off. <laughs> just no problem. Moose, you don't want moose to charge you. Oh, <laughs> these things are huge. They are really big. And if you see them, just bypass them. Snakes, the rattlers, they, they do rattle. You can hear them before you see them, so that that's a good thing. I think that's the advantage with the rattlesnakes in the states is they do tend to warn you, whereas Australia, uh, you you often get no warning and you're right on top of them. No, so. Exactly, exactly. The only time you know is when they've struck you. You know. So the 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 other thing that is confronting as well is that you you'll be hiking along in very remote areas and you'll come across these hunters. And these guys are bristling with bows and arrows, shotguns, rifles, high-velocity, telescoped, you know. And you just go, wow. <laughs> you know, it's a, and ordinary hikers, they walk along with handguns, you know, for bear protection. But it's, you know, you go, well, you know, it's, it's, you're not used to this sort of thing. The other thing as well, of course, is the... Uh, I'd just finished my CDT and I was waiting. I was in Grants and I was waiting for uh, the flights back to Australia. And I was just walking along, having gone and gone and bought some food, I think it was. And I was walking back with a plastic bag, dressed it. And, and so, you know, most of my gear is worn and well used. And this car pulls up and this guy jumps out and he gives me a card. And he, he said on this card, he said, you can come and have free food and free shelter here. He said, uh, he said, we don't judge you homeless people. You will." Um, <laughs> and I just said, oh, I'm about to fly to Australia. So he got very upset and took his card back and left, <laughs> left me alone, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think uh, uh, long distance hikers can look homeless sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, you can, you know, it's the and when you get a lift, I mean, with the CDT, the, the trail is so remote that the hitches into town are so they're big hitches, you know, that they're, they're they're not just down the road, so the, it it can increase the, the increases the isolation, you know, and it can take you quite some time to hitch in. Now, from a, a, a generic perspective in relation to the trails, you, you said you actually, um, you know, particularly in the PCT, you said you came in and you, you sorted out food and sent food ahead where you needed to. How did you find the food? Because I, I, I must admit, I, I find American food uh, to be different enough to Australian food that I'm, I'm having to think, now, what is it I want to eat? How did you work that one out? How did you decide, well, I'm going to eat Twinkies or I'm going to eat Snickers or or whatever it was you happened to choose? It's the, the whole point here is that a lot of the places we were going through, you didn't have the option. Um, a lot of people, the main meal that they would eat at night is ramen. Um, ramen, ramen was always usually f uh, available even in the little corner stores. Um, 
sometimes your uh, food parcel that you'd sent had been got lost. Uh, they didn't, you know, it's got been sent to the outer rings of Saturn. So you you have to cobble together um, uh, whatever whatever's available. So it's fine to have choices uh, or to think you have, but in the end, you will. I will. I will eat. When you've got hiker hunger, you will eat anything. So, you know, there were times when, you know, for uh, for about four or five days, I would, all I had was ramen because that's the only thing I could, uh, that they had at the small gas station or store that was there. And you eat junk food. You, <laughs> you, it, it's, it's simple. If you went to a dietitian and say, give me a list of the 10 worst things that I could possibly eat, then they'll give you the list and every the, the even all 10 were that this is exactly what i crave when i go into town you know ice cream you know chocolate uh, and it's just anything that will put weight back on you because you do it, it is it's you know everybody thinks oh great weight loss no it, it is it is pathological almost. the weight loss looks terrible you know you you literally do and you do feel it. You get groggy mind uh, minded. It affects you psychologically. You know, it's the for me the a through hiker is uh, through hike is um, you know the first stage of it is a physical thing. It's can I do it? And then after that, uh, it becomes an emotional thing of how do I do it? And then for me, then it becomes a spiritual thing: is why do I do it? And that these are the things that you that go through your mind as you as you get into this this routine, you know, eat, sleep, repeat, eat, sleep, repeat, eat, sleep, hype, repeat. It's a great uh, it's a great meditation. You know, it, it's you come to the understanding that the, the, the actual peace and the joy that you have been seeking outside in somewhere in the world, you realize it's at the core of your being. That's where it is. And doing these long walks, your mind isn't distracted with the 10,000 things that you have to deal with on a daily basis. All you do is get up, you walk, you eat, you sleep, then you get up. And it's, you know, chopping wood, carrying water, chopping wood, carrying water. And you realize that, you know, this is the what you're seeking. This piece is already at your, the core of your being. And it's just covered up. And a lot of people talk about post-hike, post-through-hiking depression. You know, they say, well, that, that that I was feeling on the trail is not what I feel now. And I think if people were to understand that it is there, it's just you've allowed it to be covered up. You know, yeah. I have at the core of my being that peace, that joy is there. That's at the core of my being. And I share my being with everybody. That to me is the why of through hiking simple as that it's but and we can experience it without necessarily explaining it to ourselves i think that's the important thing we all go we all go back out there repeatedly to nature and it replenishes us we don't have to be able to explain it we just experience it yeah. it's beautiful now one other term we haven't mentioned and i'll ask you here now is did you don't join a tramley and for those that don't know, Tramley is a trail family. Uh, were, were you pretty much hiking your own hike or were you hiking with, with, with others as yeah. you went? The, the thing that you find with a through hike, um, on the Appalachian Trail, because of the way that the, the, the trail is set up, you sleep in shelters, which are just basically, it's like a shed with the long side taken out. 
and everybody sleeps in there and that and the shed and these uh, shelters are usually at water sources so if you do the at first then people get into these tramways which are trail families and you find you know the first 500 miles or so it's the families don't always form it's because people are still deciding whether they're going to do it whether they're not going to do it whether they're going to have physical issues psychological issues but usually after about 500 miles or so people who are going to do it are, are on trail and they're heading northbound or southbound and they will form a, tra- a tramley and some some lifelong friends are made in fact a couple of people that I, I hiked with on the AT have ended up getting married. So, you know, they met and they hooked up and and that's fine. So for me, no, I'm happy. My hiking, my hiking partner is Monarch. I'm very happy walking with her. Otherwise, I will walk on my own. Having said that, the on the CDT for about the last month, I walked with a guy from Holland. Uh, from He was Dutch called Van Gogh. I really enjoyed walking with him. Uh, we we sort of met. Uh, we walked at a similar pace. But overall, no. Um, I was happy. If you're happy walking on your own, then if you join a tramley, fabulous. You know, nothing wrong with it. It's good. But uh, preference, I'm about to go off to do another hike now. And I'm planning to do that on my own. You know, it's happy in my own company. If other people want to join me, that's fine. You know, people sort of come in and go out. You find that you've got a different agenda, a different itinerary, a different resupply areas. So, you know, you meet up. And there's nothing better than meeting, you know, seeing somebody within the first week and then three months later that you see them in a, on a remote campsite going, oh, I remember you. You were, you know, it's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. On the PCT, that's a permitted trail, so they they, yep. they they don't let anyone start at any any particular point in time. How did you find going and getting a permit for that? Did you have a particular time you wanted to start and you managed to get a, a permit for that time or did you have to adjust yep. for the permit? No, no, I um, I was able because the there was um, a trail angel who was um, – who was alerting everybody to uh, look? The the permits are going to be open at this time, and they allow. I've forgotten how many people uh, they were. This was back in 2015. Um, I didn't have a problem getting a permit for our start date, and I, nobody checked it anyway. But I would still. I mean, I am one of these people who will say yes if you've got it. It's better to have the permit there and not nobody check it, but. Um, it's just a way of them controlling who's coming through, how many people are on trail. Because, you know, it's like one bad apple will spoil it for the for everybody. So you have to be very careful. But I didn't have a problem. And the permit system is, is going. Uh, the Appalachian Trail, I had a permit. Uh, I got uh, uh, at Springer, I got the number I got was something like 200 and... So they, they they give you numbers. I'm just checking my trail number here. I got 100. My trail number was 197 when I started the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. When I got halfway along, I was number of the through hiking people. Halfway through, my number was, I think it was 98. 
And then when I was finishing uh, at Mount Katahdin, so summiting Mount Katahdin, I was number 50. So it says, you know, one in uh, there's only about one in four people actually finish the trails that do it. Um, I don't know how accurate these numbers are, but that's just I started out 197. I was the 197th through hiker starting the AT and I was 50th getting to the top. So, yeah, yeah. you know, there, there is an attrition rate. So. Two final questions I've got for you. Yep. Out of those three trails, if you had to pick one, which you, which was your favourite? The That's a very hard question. Um, I would prefer the question of it's not which of the three trails, which of the trails are your favourite. It's whether you have the skill set to adapt to the different demands of each trail. I would have to say PCT because I was mag- uh, I was walking with Magzo. I was walking with uh, Magzo. The the ones that are, uh, the CDT was probably um, that was demanding. The, the PCT I enjoyed because I was walking with Magza. The AT, it, it's a, it's not, a, it's not an easy trail. Um, it was a people's trail. There was a lot of people on it, and I would say the AT was probably uh, the least favourite. So yeah. it would be PCT, CDT, AT. But I would rather think. You know, it's it's too hot. They're, they're too varied, and you you know you, your internal and external states. You know, you can be in paradise and think you're in hell, and you can be in hell but think you're in paradise. It's 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 all to do with mindset and and how how you approach it. I think so, and it changes throughout throughout the district because you're on trail for you know 140, 150 days. So it's a it's a long time. Yeah, no, that's true. And I suppose the other question I was going to ask you is what's your next great adventure from here? Well, it's funnily enough, I am just um, planning to go and do the Tier Aurora uh, in New Zealand. So that is a 3,000-kilometre hike from uh, the north of the North Island, Cape Baringa, down to the south of the South Island, um, down to Bluff, and there is a little island off the bottom called Stewart Island. You can probably do a four or five day trip around there. Um, I know it's time for me to do another through hike because uh, Monarch, uh, as a present to myself, she buys me a return ticket to <laughs> to New Zealand as a pres- as a present for me, and as a present to herself, she rips the return part out. So. Um, that's that's how i know it's time no it's um funnily enough you said that this was going to be published on about the 10th of october that's the exact day that i'll be starting my southbound journey um yeah so no. yeah no it's the should be good yeah i must admit that's that's one of the tra- one of the many trails on my list as well so hoping to start doing some of the longer trails again in the next few years We've been talking with Simon Morris about completing the US Triple Crown. Uh, Thank you very much for taking your time and congratulations on this epic achievement. Thank you very much for having uh, having me on uh, on your podcast and I wish you well in future hikes. All right, and good luck with the uh, good luck with the Tayaro as well. Uh, It uh, it, as I said, it's one on my list, and I'm uh, I've been looking forward to seeing how you go with that one. 
It sounds good. Thanks very much, Tim. Take care. No worries. So in that episode, we ended up talking to Simon Morris about undertaking the Triple Crown in the USA. But from a hiking perspective, there's the three trails that are included in the Triple Crown. The Appalachian Trail, approximately 3,531 kilometres. The Pacific Crest Trail, approximately 4,270 kilometres. And the Continental Divide Trail, just on 4,873 kilometres. As Simon went on to mention later in the episode, these distances do vary, particularly in relation to the Continental Divide Trail. And we'll talk about the trails more specifically in a moment. For any hiker to do one of these trails individually is a pretty magnificent sort of effort. You know, when you think about Australian trails, uh, Bibbulmun Track, roughly 1,000 kilometres, Heiston Trail, about 1,200 kilometres. And for us, our longest trail is the National Trail, which also used to be called the Bicentennial National Trail, uh, is roughly about 5,000 odd kilometres. So we don't really have three trails in this sort of distances in this country without making up your own. Well, you could do that. (laughs) You could always do that. You can, you can. And as I said at the start of this episode, a number of years ago, I thought I'd love to be able to do all three of these trails. And in listening to US-based podcasts and in talking to hikers that have done this, it seems to be you either do one trail or you do three. It's rare that people. Do, <laughs> it's rare that people stop at two because I think the attitude is. If I'm you, almost there. If you've done two, you're going to you're going to do the third one. Particularly if you've done some of the longer ones. Yeah, yeah. Now the three trails themselves, and again, this is what Simon mentioned, and and this this is what these trails tend to have a reputation for. The Appalachian Trail is called the Green Tunnel, and it, it is pretty much walking through trees. Um, in some respects, it's it's the easiest logistic trail to go through and do. And by that, I mean uh, you don't have to worry too much about fire or snow issues preventing you from doing this track. So I think from an international hiking perspective, if you're traveling overseas and you want to finish the trail in, in its purest form where you're putting together a series of footsteps from start to finish and you're not jumping ahead and coming back, the Appalachian Trail is probably the easier one of those three trails to do. Having said that, it probably, from my perspective, the last trail on my list, uh, I think I'd prefer the other two trails. The Appalachian Trail also has a reputation for being a more social trail. It, it goes through a lot more Uh, or or passes a lot more towns and cities. And as a result, you have a lot more people doing this track or being on on trail than you do on the others. The next one is the Pacific Crest Trail. And this is probably the best known one, thanks to the movie Wild and, and the book for that matter as well. And from my perspective, if I had the choice of only doing one, this would be my preference. I like the idea of having a range of different landscapes. You've got desert, you've got large conifer forests, you've got uh, mountains, you've got open plains, and it's just something that's uh, a a better variety if you like. Uh, Now, not everyone says that, but I mean, certainly from my perspective, it's the one that inspires me the most. It's an interesting one because for me, it it's the one that scares me the most, and um, it's an it, it. The interesting point is that there are so many things about America that are familiar, but there are so many things that are foreign um, and 
unwelcoming, I guess. <laughs> That's how I see it. And um, yeah, so I would be worried about you doing the PCT and uh, probably even concerned about me being the, the road support along the way if you need it. So, you know, that's that's not about being allowed. That That's really about weighing up the risks, I, I guess. Now, the problem from my perspective with doing the PCT, and I've, I've been following these trails for a number of years, uh, and, you know, and as someone who's never hiked e- any of them, I probably know more about them uh, than most other Australians do that, that, ha- that haven't actually hiked them. Living vicariously uh, through vicariously through podcasts and talking to hikers and everything else. And I think the problem is, listening to the last few years, there's been a big issue with bushfires, particularly in Northern California, where people have started the trail, end up at Northern California and have to get off the trail because there are fires. And then every so often you get bad snow years, which I have heard of people doing this in these trails in wintertime. Typically for most hikers, I'm not that snow experienced and I think I'd probably worry a bit about trying to go through and do an area where I'm not particularly familiar with and having to worry about the safety aspects. I think if I ended up doing this trail, it would be as much as I would like to do it as a purist form from start to finish heading north to south or south to north uh, in one standard direction and not sort of jumping around the trail and doing bits and coming back again. Uh, from a perspective of an overseas traveller, I could see that potentially being an issue. So I think if I was going to do this trail from an, from an Australian perspective, I would have to go into it with a fairly open sort of mind and say, okay, the weather's not good or the fires aren't good. Am I going to have to jump ahead and come back uh, or I may miss bits? I think you know, if you, re- you live in the States and you've got a bit more flexibility on time or you think, oh, I'll just come back and do it next year, that's not always an easy thing when you're having to travel from overseas. So while I, this would be my pick of the trail to do, it would have to be one of those ones where I'd go into this with a fairly pragmatic approach, knowing that I wouldn't necessarily complete it if the weather was against me. Uh, from the excessive heat and drought causing fires, uh, or from the, a really bad snow years impacting on how I can do this. The third trail, which is probably the least known of these three trails, is the Continental Divide Trail. And the Appalachian Trail is on the east coast. The Pacific Crest Trail is on the western uh, side of the USA. And the Continental Divide Trail, for want of a better term, runs roughly down the middle, not quite, uh, but it pretty much takes the middle uh, of the, uh, the US. And it's the least done as far as hiking is concerned. Uh, whether Where there are hundreds, if not thousands of hikers that do the Pacific Crest Trail and the Appalachian Trail each year, the number on the Continental Divide Trail is certainly a lot smaller. It's very much more remote. Uh, you're in much more wilderness areas. You're certainly seeing different things. And, you know, for me, I don't know. I don't know if I'd rate this as second or third, but certainly, as I said, Pacific Crest Trail would come in at number one. Simon talked about the jargon that's used on the US trails, and it tends to be an American-based thing rather than something that Europeans or Australians tend to do, and the whole concept of things like trail names. You know, going through and doing a whole trail and not knowing what someone's real name is because you're calling them by their trail name. I think, as as Simon said, and I hadn't actually thought about it this way, is when you are going by trail names, you're not going by John Smith accountant, or you're not, you know, you're not, you know, John Smith doctor or something like that. It really is. Here's the name you've picked up on trail for whatever reason, 
Uh, and you get some pretty amazing trail names. And certainly Simon's was Wow, which he'd actually pick up in Australia. And um, his partner was Monarch. And uh, they're trail names that uh, they're, they're relatively new, unique. But as he mentioned, he came across two hikers who were called Snickers, one going northbound and one going southbound. Now, you would assume they probably got those because they were eating an awful lot of Snickers. Or <laughs> uh, well, they snickered. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the sort of thing that a whole different philosophy, I suppose, in relation to how you hike on trails. The other concept as well, which we talked about, was tramilies, so trail families. Uh, and again, I, I, I tend to be a bit more with Simon on this one. I like being around people. I like traveling with people, but I also like traveling by myself. So I'd be happy to, I don't think I'd want to do the entire trail with a group of people, but I'd also don't mind spending time with people as well. So, but having that solitude is certainly something I do appreciate. Now, just because you are traveling together as a group doesn't necessarily mean you're walking side by side or behind each other the entire day. You may not, you may see them in the morning before you leave camp. You may not catch up to them or you, they may not catch up to you until the end of the day. Uh, so you've got the solitude during the daytime and you're seeing people at nighttime. So there's a number of different ways you can go through and do these trails. And I think doing the Appalachian Trail is a less of a solitary trail and this, this is going to depend on the sort of experience that you really want. Certainly, if you want real solitude, the Continental Divide Trail is probably going to be a better option. Pacific Trest Trail, again, there's a lot of people on there, but uh, you've got a bit more chance for solitude. Whereas the Appalachian Trail, where you are getting a lot of day hikers doing sections of it, it's passing fairly major population centres, you are going to see more people along the trail as you go. Simon talked about equipment-wise what was going on, and again, from his perspective, he sounded like he was a boot wearer but did wear boots on some of the trails and then trail runners on others. So it's really going to depend on what your preference is, and for me, uh, trail runners is always the way to go. If I'm going to be walking through snow, might be a different uh, issue. I might look at a, a trail runner boot rather than a full-on boot, but something a bit more waterproof. So again, you know, the trail runners really have taken over these trails. It's, it's much more common. The other thing from a logistical perspective that I found really interesting, and again, this is something that's, that hasn't uh, slipped my mind, if you like, is when you're doing this as a US hiker, you can have all your stuff sitting at home in boxes ready to go, or you can have it there ready for someone to pack, depending on what your re request is, and send it on to a, a mailing area. Whereas he, he mentioned that from his perspective, he got there a week early, he went through and organised all these little bits and pieces, he organised his food, he sent food ahead to where he thought he was going to need it. Uh, and that's something that, you know, as an international tra traveller, logistically that's a, a bit more of an impost mm -hmm. than, as it, than if you're a local. The other discussion was northbound versus southbound. And, and typically with these trails, Certainly the Pacific Crest Trail going from south from the Mexican border to the Canadian border tends to be the standard for many people. Uh, it has a different time zone or different time of the year that you tend to do it. Certainly if you tend to be going northbound, you tend to look at starting around that April, early May period because you want to get through mountain ranges at certain times. 
If you arrive too early, you hit snow. The Pacific Crest Trail does have a limit to the number of people that can start each day. Now, Simon said he got all these permits and no one ever asked to see them, but um, uh, it's, it's, it's a risk you take if you don't have a permit. Um, now, Particularly if you're a foreign traveller. Yeah. So yeah, the number, as far as I'm aware, was around about 50 people per day. Now, again, that's not a lot by by any means, but if you think about 50 people a day uh, starting northbound and, uh, you know, 50 the next day and 50 the next day, over a 30-day period, you've got 1,500 people on the trail and they're not necessarily staying a day apart, spread apart. Some people will travel faster, some travel slower, and you end up with what's called a bubble where you end up with large groups of hikers on the trail at one time. Uh, impacting on campsites, burying toilet paper where necessary, uh, and um, hitting the towns and the accommodation at similar sorts of times. Southbound is something that's becoming more common on the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, You tend to start a bit later. I think it's around about June, July, roughly, because you get through the mountains uh, at a different time, and you're also getting into the desert uh, when it's colder as well. But it's a, it's a shorter set of windows, if you like. So if you uh, have a bit less, you know, if you're a, a slow hiker, it may not be the best option to, to choose. Yeah, so you need, a, you need a schedule and you need to keep to it. Yeah, yeah. I think the other thing with going southbound on the Pacific Crest Trail, it does give you a bit more of a solitary experience because there are less hikers starting from the Canadian border. Uh, you hit all the northbound hikers in the middle somewhere and then you then you pass them in a fairly short period, and then you've got uh, empty trail at the other end with just the south, southbound hikers coming through. But as I mentioned, southbound on the Pacific Trail is becoming a lot uh, a lot more common. The Appalachian Trail, uh, people either start northbound or southbound, uh, but typically the traditional route, if you like, is finishing off in Maine in the north. Uh, but there's nothing stopping you going either directions. And again, same with the Continental Divide Trail. You've got mountain ranges you've got to get through at certain times of the year. So that'll dictate when you start and when you finish. So it does become a lot more of a logistical issue. From a wildlife perspective, I think most Australian hikers tend to be used to snakes. Uh, at least the snakes in America give you warning. They make noise before they <laughs> before you get anywhere near them. Uh, that would be so nice if the Australian snakes did that. U.S. snakes tend to be a more recent genetic uh, lineage of snake, uh, and they they tend to be different. On a, and again, they look like a snake, like anything else, like ours do. But you know, they have the the ability to rattle. Uh, and make a noise uh, and and give a bit of warning that you need to keep away. And, yeah, uh, that's and pretty handy, isn't it? It, it is, <laughs> and it's not a bad thing. I've, I've had instances where I've almost, not quite, but almost trodden on snakes or come very close to them. The other thing that um, uh, is different from our perspectives is the mega mega uh, fauna, the bears, the moose, that are you know, much larger animals that we'll ever come across in the Australian hiking scene. Uh, and certainly bears are a potential worry. You need to know how to handle those. And, you know, Continental Divide Trail, it's pretty standard to carry bear spray uh, because you're typically coming across grizzly bears. And, yeah, they're, they're big animals that um, uh, you're not going to win against uh, in, in any other way. So you need some sort of deterrent. Simon talked about the mental impacts on hiking. And, again, it, it's some of it I've been very much aware of and I've, I've experienced 
the, the post-hiker depression after finishing the Bimbledon track. But I hadn't thought about it from a perspective of breaking the trail down into certain segments. So in relation to the trails themselves, you know, you're starting off thinking, can I do this? You know, physically, am I up to it? Uh, then you're getting into a routine uh, and then towards the end of it, it's like, okay, it's about to finish. Uh, my life that I've gotten used to for the last four, five, six months has changed. How is that going to impact me? Uh, so it, it's interesting to, to think about that. And again, talking to a lot of hikers, it is a bit of a, a, a culture shock coming back off trail again when all you've been yeah. doing for a number of months is is get up, walk, sleep, get up, walk, sleep for that sort of period of time. It's a big change and then, you know, a as you say, you get into a routine and then at the end it's the uncertainty of what, what next. For me, this episode was about giving a taste of the three Triple Crown Trails, the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail and the Appalachian Trail. And as I said, I would love to do at least one of these at some point. But something we didn't actually mention through here, the two age groups you tend to get on these trails is the people who have finished school and just before they go to college or they've just started college and they've got five, six months off to do a hike. And then the people who have retired and have the time and the resources to go off and disappear for four or five or six months and do a hike. You get that bracket in the middle where you get married, you've got a family, you've got commitments where taking six months off is not always an option. So you you will see people of all age brackets on these trails, but certainly there's the two the two extremes, two extremes if, if yeah. you like. Okay, I hope you've enjoyed this introduction to the US Triple Crown and I hope it prompts you to think a bit more about whether this is something, at least one of them you might want to do and maybe do some US long distance hiking. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me. For me, this episode was a bit about giving the taste of the three Triple Crown Trails, the Appalachian Trail, the Pacific Trail, the Pacific Crest Trail and the Continental Divide (laughs) Trail. Try again.